Welcome back to episode 48 of the Run Culture Podcast. Two weeks ago, I caught up with good friend Nick Cross, Director of Melbourne CBD Physio and Athletics Australia Physio. The topic of the podcast was rehab versus performance in the distance runner. It's a topic that's very close to both of our hearts. In the clinic, we often work with a lot of runners and get them out of pain. Once their pain has gone away, um, often runners stop rehab. But is an injury ever fixed? Should runners transition more to a performance goal-orientated mindset? Are there certain times when the whole idea of rehab and focusing on pain can be self-limiting? These are some of the questions that Nick and I discuss in a great podcast that was a one take and it's the first podcast that I haven't had to edit for a long time. So thanks, Nick, for such a great chat. I absolutely love this chat. Um, Yeah, and I couldn't be happier to be broadcasting it to a whole heap of runners because it's something I want a lot of runners to understand. And I'm sure there are a lot of takeaways from this one. So enjoy, guys. Welcome to the Run Culture Podcast. My name is Dane Verway. I'm an experienced runner and running physiotherapist. I created this podcast not only so I had an excuse to talk running each and every week, something that I love to do, but more importantly, this podcast gives me the opportunity to interview fellow runners, friends and health professionals in a relaxed and easygoing format. This podcast is designed for the everyday runner, so we can all live, learn, grow and enjoy everything there is to running together. I hope you enjoy the show. All right, mate, we're back for episode two together. Um, I'm here with Nick Cross uh, on the Run Culture podcast. Uh, Welcome back. Thanks, mate. Thanks for having me. Yeah. Um, Today, we're going to talk about rehab versus performance. And it's a topic that we're both very passionate about and looking forward to talking about. Nick, when you um, treat a runner, uh, how, how much do you think rehab and performance are linked? Oh, how do I interlink them? Yeah. Or oh, link them up? Okay. Yep. Um, well, sometimes like I think when you're, when you're dealing with a runner who comes in with an injury, you can be very much injury-focused. And, um, you know, we're doing this for the injury, we're doing this for the injury... And we're doing that for the injury and, you know, and they get very caught up in the injury. And sometimes you can find when you're doing that, you can fall into a bit of a rut. And people are then, as we spoke and alluded to in the past, in the other podcast, we're talking about, you know, forever stuck in rehab. So another way that you can look at it is to say, well, and I'll give you an example. Let's say, for instance, someone comes in with, you know, persisting tendon problems. And you could be saying, oh, we're doing calf strengthening for the injury. Yep. Or you could say to someone, listen, your calf is not up to standard yep. in regards to being able to complete this particular activity. So we need to strengthen this up yep. so you can run further, run faster, you know, run more efficient, um, et cetera, et cetera. And then have a look at you know, some performance metrics you know, throughout the rehab. So people say, oh, I used to be out like, you know, I used to be able to run, you know, four minute Ks. Now I'm running, you know, 350s. Yep. And and looking at some of those metrics along the way, rather than just saying, oh, I've got pain, this is healing. Like, yeah, okay, we can dabble into some of that along the way. Yep. But if you cha- kind of change the twist, you know, put a little bit of a different spin on it. Yep. It can... It can give the the athlete and the runner a different way of looking at it. It also gives them something else to look at in regards to some metrics. Yep. Other than pain. Yeah. You know, so you know, so you can really start to take people's, you know, um, not take people's pain away, but shift the focus a little. Yep. Oh, I agree entirely. I think um, definitely as physios, um, you know, we've all got the best intentions, but sometimes um, I feel like we're focusing uh, too much on the rehab side of things we're almost can be a bit self-limiting um, because like I've, I've certainly seen some patients where they keep saying oh I can't do that or I can't do this 
and um, definitely in the early stage of rehab, it's good to put um, restrictions on certain um, activities um, to ensure um, the acute injury settles down and calms down. But it's almost like um, sometimes athletes um, get stuck in a rut and they think that's a forever kind of um, restriction. So, yeah. And I think it's because sometimes it's a very easy thing to focus in on. Yeah. Do you mean? And so, and when you, if it's easy, yeah, sure. Well, let's just go with that. But yep. sometimes like it's that real challenge. And I think it's even a bigger challenge when people have had an injury for a prolonged period of time um, to then start to all of a sudden shift the, shift the focus back into that, that performance element. Yeah, it's yeah. really good. So yeah, that's um, what I, we really wanted to talk about today because um, so often see runners that um uh i suppose um separate the two and uh once their pain's gone away they stop exercising or doing the little one percenters um and i'd really like to change the way a lot of runners think about exercise um as a complementary sort of aspect to their running um you know time and time again i see people you know, for six weeks, eight weeks, and they're doing all their rehab exercises, their pain goes away and they just start running again and um, but and, and they forget the little one percenters that might have, you know, got them back to running and, and, and you know, uh, I see them, you know, in six weeks' time, eight weeks' time, two, six months' time with the same injury um, relapsing. Um, so... Yeah, when you let's start off with the rehab part. So when you first see an athlete um, and they walk into through the door and walk into the clinic, what are you trying to deduce from them, and and what does a sort of initial appointment generally look like? Uh, yeah, I, I got told by a patient once they said, "Oh, that's a bit forward." Um, <laughs> you know, but my initial question to a lot of people is, "What would you like from me today?" Yep. Um, and now. That sounds really, or can sound really blunt, but what it's actually, what I'm actually asking is, how can I help you? Yep. And I put the onus straight back on to the person and the runner that comes through the door. And sometimes some people have thought about that and they've got a really clear understanding and idea as to what they want. But sometimes some people go, oh, well, I thought you were going to fix me. And I was like, well, hang on, wait a minute. Like, physio, a good physio will be here to guide you through and use their experience and work with you, not do it for you. So that's the way I start yep. um, every consultation, um, be it initial or a follow-up. And I think that that sets some goals as to you know what they want out of this session and it, and yep. it really creates that you know um, therapeutic alliance. Yeah. Um, yep. And so, yeah, that's how, that's how I'd start it. Yeah. Um, and then it's to, to look and say, well, all right, um, get a really clear idea as to what they perceive their problem to be yep. um, rather than me trying to spend 30 minutes of trying to figure it out. Yeah. Uh, at that point then, sure, like, like every good clinician, I'm going to sit and listen to your story yep. and make sure you tell me every single thing you want to tell me about it yep. because you can pick up a whole heap of things, not just from the physical side of it, um, like we're not psychoanalyzing patients, yeah. so I'm a physio, but you know, we're hearing things that could have an impact on, on that injury. Um, and then what might be limiting to get them back to perform yep. you know, at whatever level. So that's how I kind of really go about it. And then, then, you know, see where they will also want to go with it. Nice. Yeah. So you're making it very, uh, patient specific and patient driven. Get, yeah. I think, I think in any setting, like gone are the cookie cutter programs, like yep. gone are the days because, you know, look, I actually, no, they still exist out there. But I think that, you know, if you, if you think that one system just can be applied to everyone, you, okay, like, you're going to come, like, I think you're going to come unstuck. Yep. But sometimes, like, if you've, especially in this country where you've only got 20-something million people, you can't apply, like, the really hardcore programs and just give it to people and then the strongest survive and then that's <laughs> your world champ. Like, we don't have that luxury. Yeah. I mean, and I don't think that that's really right either because then some people are just going to fall by the wayside. 
and we also lose a lot of talented, you know, runners. But yeah, so I think that everything just needs to be, you know, tailor made. Yep. Yeah. Um, so is like are you sort of getting at the the sort of art science aspect of rehab, like um, how like there's all this stuff and clinical expertise that you've built up over time through um, you know your years as a physio and um, your experience um, uh, with study, um, but then I suppose there's that that art of um, reading the patient, communicating with the patient. Um, being able to deduce um, what makes them tick and and applying your science to that 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 runner yeah I yeah. think so like as you said like clinical expertise and, and clinical reasoning will be you know what's out there in the evidence you know what you found works clinically you know etc etc so you know and then there's also a time and place so you can say okay well we've got you know this particular intervention that's going to probably bring you know about this change but we then need to consider the stage of healing you know and then we've got to say okay well maybe we don't want to bring it in yet but then the runners tried it before so you know and then they've failed at it for whatever reason so we've got to try and figure out why they might have failed and then say okay are they ready to try that intervention again or do we need to go about it a different way and it's you know it's not just as simple as okay you know a squared plus B squared equals C squared, and then we just roll that out every time. Sometimes yep. you can have like it's it's easy. You can do it like that, but yep. not every not every um, not in every uh, second uh, in not in every instance. Yeah. No, hundred percent. Like, um, like often work gets in the way um, with with a busy runner, um, uh, family commitments, and um, uh, and even um, resources. Um, so like you might have the best program in the world, but you know they just can't access it. Um, yeah. So yeah, it's about trying to apply sort of that gold standard research um, as best you can, um, but making it practical. Yeah, um, absolutely. Yeah. And sometimes it's like you're actually asking people to bring around a lot of change. You know, like you know, I've heard runners say, "Gym, like, yeah. what do you mean, gym? Like, I don't do gym." Yeah. And I'm like, well. Like, you know, Jim, Jim's going to do this. And so, you know, it's, um, that's another whole conversation that you need to have about, you know, how it's important. Um, yeah, but on that, how, how do you create, um, sort of buy-in or, or how do you work with a runner who's holding onto a set of beliefs or a diagnosis that might be malaligned to what you're trying, what, what you feel will benefit the runner? Um, I think... Creating buy-in, um, it's really to look and say, well, all right, well, what do you perceive to be the problem? And then, and then having a look at like the resources in and around that runner that can assist, yep. you know, and looking at the team. Um, and then, so then the message that we're giving to the runner is really clear. And then, you know, and, and that's from all angles. Yep. So I think that plays a huge part. And then, like another way, and more of like an example, is if if you said to someone, "Where do you want to be in six months' time?" Yep. Um, and they said, "Oh, I want to be running and doing this," and you know they're they're very much big on you know the passive modalities and you know and you say, "Well, last time I checked, you can't massage strength into a muscle." Yep. You know, <laughs> um, and they and they go, "Oh, well, actually, oh, that starts to make a bit of sense." and and then you're talking and you're doing some you're doing some strength measures and you're giving them something that they can really see yeah um, and then they, they can reassess quite easily um, and then and then to put in an intervention that's you know not threatening but you know that they see some relevance to and then you know um, and then rolling that out but then always coming back and revisiting you know how they're going along the way um, yeah to see how well they're adhering to it, how much they're liking it, disliking it, what do you need to change in, you know, in, in some settings. And then to, you know, reassess it in six weeks. And, you know, when people can see the change that it's brought about, um, I think that that's when your buy-in yeah. um, is a hell of a lot better. Yep. And then, you know... But like their motivation starts to increase. Yeah, because the motivation can start to, you know, um, to waver a bit. 
And, you know, and the famous line, that, you know, not a famous line, but a common line that we use is a human being will do nothing about nothing. So if it's not sore, I'm not going to try and fix it. Or if it feels better, well, why don't I need to keep doing it? And so I think that, you know, when we're looking at strength adaptations and cycles in training programs and, you know, all kinds of whatnot, you know, it's eight to 12 weeks. And I think that's the really hard thing as well is that, you know, people, you can say to you, well, I've been doing this for, you know, two, three times a week. It's done nothing. It's, you yeah. know, it's been six weeks. I've still got this. And, you know, so it's important to keep coming back in, you know, throughout that period to try and find like the little changes that they've had along the way. Yeah. Yeah. So that people, you know, can really dive into it a little bit deeper rather than just looking at it on the surface. And then, yep. you know, once you've just got to try and hold on to, not hold on to your patient, but, you know, steer them in the right direction and guide them. Yeah. Um, especially towards that kind of, you know, back end of the program when, you know, things are starting to get a bit better and, you know, um, but they haven't received the full bang for buck yet. Yeah. I'm doing that. Um, yeah. Yeah. And, and sorry to keep banging yeah, on, no. but, you know, and we might touch on this a bit later, but I think the real challenge as well is when you're seeing a, is seeing a runner who is really deconditioned yep. for their specific activity and then that particular athlete needing, you know, multiple cycles of the yeah. same thing. Yeah. So to the listener, we're saying yep. that, you know, instead of like an eight to 12 week block, that could be like a 16 to 24 week block yep. of the same stuff. Yeah. You know, and, <laughs> you know, and not, you know, um, getting persuaded by seeing other people doing, you know, the fancy looking exercises and, yeah. and just sticking to some real basics. Yep. So I think that's another challenge as well. Yeah. And it's definitely so hard because the athlete who, who might be undertaking that rehab program is, is dealing, is, is assessing things every day. And so sometimes when you're thinking about your strength, like on a daily basis, it's hard to see that change over time. Um, uh, and yeah, it, I really like what you said about, um, uh, uh, you know, sometimes the simple, practical, boring exercises, but just done um, well over time, uh, uh, consistently, uh, that is the is the key. But um, sometimes it is. It's good to have a bit of variety to to keep someone encouraged and enthused and and sticking at it. But at the same same time. Um, uh, I feel like that's where a lot of runners struggle is um, just that um, sticking at it. Um, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And the the physio can be also a bit to blame. Like we're not putting all the blame on yeah. the runner. Like sometimes, like you as a uh, when you're prescribing exercise, you know you could be prescribing the same, like oh, and different exercises they're going to bring about the same thing, you know that um or, or like bring about the same change, but by prescribing, you know, different, you know, varieties of the same kind of exercise, then it means that it keeps the environment a little bit, you know, fresh. Yeah. Yep. So I think that's a challenge for therapists as well to think about, you know, what's this doing? Can I, is there another way of doing it? Could we just change it, you know, um, just so people don't go a bit stir crazy? Yeah. Yeah. And then like say someone was a bit stressed um, about a certain diagnosis or or they're they're worried about a certain pain um, in their in their body uh, like what are some tips or tricks that um, you could share with listeners that you often find useful in terms of keeping the runner um, uh, not too anxious about their pain and, and keep them going uh, yeah, yeah sure I think that like Therapists could do this and runners could do this, but I think yep. the big thing that we do is is ask people why. Yep. And we touched on this before. To say why five times, you know, say, well, you know, I've got a, I've got a, you know, let's say for instance, we, we get this all the time. Someone comes in and says, look, I've got a partial tear of my Achilles. Yeah. You know, the radiology form. Oh, yeah. Or the radio, like the, the report says I've got a partial tear. Now, when they say, okay, well, did you have a moment in time injury? And they go, no, it just progressively got worse and it's got partially torn. And now we know that it's not probably partially torn. Uh, it's more just like a 
you know, it's just a used tendon, yep. right? For the listener, yep. I won't go into too much terminology, but it's just a used tendon. Now, you're I think a, you're a runner. Like yeah, and you're a runner. You've used your tendon. Used. Yeah, hundred percent. And if yep. you haven't, well, you haven't run enough. <laughs> yeah. So, um, so then you can say to someone like, "Why does that stress you out?" Oh, well, if it's partially torn, you know, that's it's going to take a long time to get better. Okay, well, and why does that stress you out? Oh, because, um, you know, I've got an event coming up. And why is that? Why is that event so important? Oh, it's um, it's because of, you know, it's it's something that I've been set for a long period of time. Okay, and why did you choose that particular goal? Oh, it's because you know, let's say if it was like a run for kids or and a charity run, I had a friend that was associated with this, or I've raised a lot of funds with that, you know, and you know, you kind of really keep diving down as to like you know, and if you ask it five times, you really get down to the real crux of the problem, and you can yeah. also then really figure that that um you know the, the motivation the motivation you know out and then you can kind of say well okay well and then you can start as a therapist and a, uh, you know as a runner like not picking apart but also addressing some of the myths that might be in there in and amongst like the program along the way so you could say well look, you know radiology you know you know mri if you look at your sean docking's research mri ultrasound can't differentiate between a partially torn tendon and just a used tendon yep so there's a very good chance that it's not torn yep and then you know when we're looking at this and then you can bring in your performance measures and then you can say well so you know at the moment your tissue capacity is a bit underdone and then you know so then if we can start to do this for x amount of weeks then we can start to you know get that going and then we can start to make sure that you know kind of goals are along the way and then start to align it with their beliefs that they'll be able to get back and yeah yep. kind of blend the two a bit if yeah. that makes any sense no i really like it um yeah I, I sort of undertake a similar similar thing um but probably yeah learn a little bit about that whole why 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 like f- five times like that that really um gets you to um sort of synthesize what the patient's thinking and then once you know uh, or the, the runner's thinking. And so once you know what the runner's thinking, then you can better go, okay, well, um, uh, you know, this is important and, and this isn't. And then you can also better um, educate the patient because you sort of know where they're at um, uh, and how they, they think about their problem. Um, so you can better tailor your education. And um, I often talk about a, a, a risk-benefit um, scenario Um when uh, when I'm trying to um, go through a decision with a patient and um, get, sort of go through all the risks and the negatives of, of, of a certain behaviour and all the positives of a certain behaviour and, and then I feel like everything's on, on a piece of paper and it's easier to make a decision um, and do that. And then also another thing that I've found is quite useful when trying to um, change or, or try to influence someone in terms of their beliefs is... Um, uh, sort of saying that a certain amount of pain sometimes is okay, like is good pain, and then a certain amount of this is this type of pain that we we don't want at the moment. And um, through educating about pain, we sort of can work out what's what's good pain to exercise through and run through, um, and what's not. And we start sort of trying to better um, understand that idea. Yeah, exactly. And I think that you know with um, Mosley's work in that pain sector, like um. I think that's going to be, it's very, very interesting. Um, you know, as much as I thought it was a bit dry to begin with, like the more you dive into it, the more you can see like the relevance. So yeah, especially, you know, when people have had injury and pain for so long, like it's not a bad thing to direct people to, you know, um, some of his fine work, you know, and you can have a look at certain sites like Tame the Beast and, yep. you know, his book Explain Pain. Yep. And, you know, so there's some really cool stuff out there. Um, but that's not to say that, you know, pain's in everyone's head. You know, sometimes, yeah. like, you know, it can be coming on for a particular reason. But, you know, for the runner that's had pain for a prolonged period of time, I think that's not a bad um, bad little clinical tip as well. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, now, on that, like, um, if you had someone who's um, been in that chronic sort of rehab cycle and they just seem to be stuck in it and they can't sort of progress there, progress out of it, they just keep getting injured and they can't perform... Uh, as a runner as they want uh, I think we've sort of touched on on the need to address sort of those psychosocial limiting beliefs and behaviors um, 
uh, and, and often um, just um, really trying to knuckle down on that is just so important. Um, what else um, uh, do you sort of um, uh, use um, Nick to um, try to get someone out of that chronic rehab cycle? Oh, um, you might like find something that's not symptom related, I think is a really good starting point. Um, you know, so you completely shift it, you know, and say, well, okay. Like they still might be functional. Yeah. More functional. So like, for instance, at work, let's say for instance, they've had, you know, um, uh, pick an injury, like something on their like left side, you know, yeah, and they've, you know, um, maybe some knee. We'll call it, which is some patellofemoral joint pain. Yep. Right. That some runners can get, and you know, you're increasing metrics, and you're increasing their strength, but they're still very much pain orientated. Yep. Um, like you could use your, you know, your standard outcome measures. One of the other things that we use from a performance point of view is a lot of our, you know, keys are, you know, um, equipment because then you can measure your watts of power and, um, and you can show people, you know, that previously that you, you know, you were you only able to elicit X amount of force and now that, you know, you can produce more. And then they, you know, and then they still might be holding on to their pain. They go, oh, but the pain's still there. I said, yeah, but it hasn't gotten worse. And, you know, it's gotten a, and, you know, your performance has got a lot better. So you start to try and shift that, um, that, that focus yep. um, away from, you know, pain pathology to, to a metric that's very easily, um, you know, you know, it's seen in real time. Yeah. Um, you know, it's it's comparable to your to your non you know um, symptomatic side. It's 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 really easy in that sense. Yeah. Um, yeah, and then also to show, you know, compared to some normative values, you know how how well they're doing, you know, yep. or how much they could still improve, and you know to try and shift back, you know, on the that kind of that hunger and the hunt, you know, yep. to to get to keep pushing for that, you know. Um, that excellence for the particular activity they want to so do. So you've got like some values on um, the case uh, treatment. Yeah, um, like I think that we've got yeah. some strength parameters that um, you know that we like our track and track and field athletes and runners to be able to hit. Yep. Um, you know how solid are all those metrics? Well, I think they're all, like with research, you know, there's always being refined. Yep. Um, but we've got some parameters that we like our runners to be able to hit. And then, you know, um, once they've got that, that's just training a lot of your strength. But then it's the ability to move that weight at a particular speed, which is your power. Yep. And then, you know, I think that that's sometimes where, you know, we can touch on a bit later that sometimes runners are really missing is that speed yeah. component. Yeah. And because you don't run that, you know, <laughs> two seconds concentric, two seconds eccentric or three, <laughs> four seconds eccentric. Yeah. You just wouldn't be able to go. Yeah. So, um, it's too slow. people have got to train relatively quick in the gym and and be able to have a look at that transition. So, yeah. Yep. So that's where we look at, that's when we start looking at a lot of your power metrics and and measuring between your symptomatic and your non-symptomatics and sides and and making sure that they're, you know, very, very close to one another. Um, yeah. And then push the runner back. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. No, I definitely think, um, like when you were talking about, um, that knee example just then, it reminded me of um, some of the Achilles tendon patients that I've had that have had pain for a long time. Like I'm seeing someone later today who's had Achilles pain for three years um, and he's making great progress and um, it's the first time he's been able to run um, for about two years. Um, but it's just been through sheer consistency over the last three months um, and doing a strength program every day, but it's progressive. So I almost feel like there was um, a, a pain modulating effect, um, essentially driven from him seeing what he could do with his Achilles rather than just resting it. And uh, slowly he progressed with his calf raises from two legs to one leg to weighted calf raises to, to some skipping. And, um, and I think, you know, yeah, there's probably, or there's most likely a physiological physiological change in terms of the tissue but I think it's almost um really had that um confidence um uh effect as well like he's it's had that pain modulating effect I think he's had he's got more confident that he's like oh if I can skip then maybe I can run Mm. um and it's um it's it's a it's an example 
how progressing those exercises um, into something that sort of uh, resembles the performance that he's trying to do um, and, and making them on a continuum increasingly more difficult um, his confidence in his pains really improved. Mm, yeah, exactly. And I think that when we're looking at, you're looking at, let's say, for instance, we're looking at a runner with you know with Achilles tendon pain. Yep. And they've had the pain for a long time. Sure, there's going to be a sensitizing factor in it, in meaning that the brain's more receptive to the the pain that they're experiencing in their posterior heel. Yep. And I think that you know when we're looking at the rehab. And we're looking at strength parameters and we're looking at, you know, a few things to chase. That's great. But it's also along the way, I think the brain is then learning, oh, that exercise is safe. This yeah. is safe. Oh, I did something a little bit harder. Oh, that was safe. Yep, this is safe. And then you kind of, as you were alluding to, you're slowly progressing and dialing up the loads in, you know, um, as you see fit and when they're hitting certain, you know, that, that real criteria-driven rehab to the point that the you know, that the running that used to bring about their pain, you know, that the tissue capacity, everything's built back up and then the brains are, think of it like a filing cabinet. Yeah. It's covered that file in dust and it's pushed it all the way back to the back of the cabinet. Yep. And I think that, yeah, as we were saying before, like you need to maintain your strength, um, you know, and look at your programming and everything along those lines to make sure that it doesn't get uncovered, you know, with the dust and then comes yeah. back out to the front of the filing cabinet for you to easily find that. So, and that's how I kind of explain it a bit to some patients. Yeah, so. I like that example. Um, and yeah, I think that's a great example of how, um, uh, like if you've had pain for a long time, like pain almost, um, the nervous system almost gets really effective at sensing pain. So it, that adapts too. So I, I feel like that, that nice progressive strength program is a good way to, especially if it's well pitched to the athlete, is a good way to desensitize that whole um, pain system, mm-hmm. um, and gradually it becomes less less um, easily provoked and and um, uh, so acknowledging that pain um, is sort of like a muscle and um, uh, you know gra- gradually like if you the more you have the more you experience it the more you think of it. Um, the, the gradually it um, um, quite quite easy to provoke, but then um, to down to desensitize it um, with a, a smart, well pitched sort of program with you know consistency and you know good education um, along the way, um, you can you know slowly desensitize it. Yeah, hundred percent. Yeah, and I think that you know, and for the listener that might just be sitting like where are you sitting? Like if you pinch yeah. your thigh and you go ah. And then you pinch it again, and you pinch it again, and you pinch it again, and and you just keep pinching it. Think of it like another way of thinking it is like a, you know that like the area is just going to spread, and then like later on you might come back and you know just brush it and go oh that was a bit sore. Yep. But it's not necessarily you know it's not the same stimulus. It's not the pinch. It's just you brushed it, but because it's been there for so long, um, that yeah your brain becomes really receptive to that stimulus, and it starts to get confused about what's what. Yep. Um, so yeah and it's almost like the alarm system becomes like just too sensitive yeah um, exactly protectively exactly so but i think actually understanding that as well yeah like you know if people if people understand why they're doing certain things or the process in and around um like some of the physiological change you know that the adherence back to the to the rehab is a lot better as well do you know what i mean they go oh okay well if i do this this is going to stiffen up my tendon. It's going to change the metabolic properties of my tendon. Like, you know, the, ten, the tendon's going to become nice and stiff. We want a stiff tendon for running. You know, so I've got to keep doing this, you know, so they, and, 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 I, and I need to be able to get it to a certain strength and parameter or level. And then if I keep doing that, well, then it means that I can get back to do this. So then they kind of see the steps along the way, but really understand. So then they go, okay, all right, cool. Yeah. Um, and then your adherence, I think, is a lot better again. Yeah, nice, spot on. Is an injury ever fixed? Oh, um, oh, it depends on who you ask. Um, <laughs> we don't like you coming back and again and again and again for the same injury and, and we don't make up injuries. Um, yep. Neither do you, I know that. Yeah, yeah. Um, but look, I think that... Like, if you, if you were just looking at it from a... Um, from a pathoanatomical perspective... Meaning just looking at it like how, how it might look on an image. 
yeah, some people would say, hey, listen, that's never, that's never better. Yep. Um, but we know that you can't just treat, you know, you know, the, what you're seeing on scans or anything like that. So, you know, just because it's there, like it might be a benign radiological finding. So, um, you know, of, and it, and if you do some rehab and it's, and they're back to performance, you still might find if you go back and re-image that tendon or joint or whatever, you might still find the same structural, you know, changes that were there in, in the past. So you haven't, I haven't grown people's collagen back. I haven't regrown their meniscus. Yeah. Um, yeah. But what we have done is, is kind of dampen down the threat, put more strength, you know, and capacity in and around that joint of, you know, tissues and whatnot, you know, change the way that loads distributed, you know, we might've changed the environment that the athlete was perceiving as a threat. And then we yep. brought them back slowly. So, you know, to say, you know, is an injury, you know, just gone. Um, yeah, I think you can get rid of pain um, and you can really manage pain and, pe- and, you know, and really bring back to people's performance. But if you're looking at it from a pure anatomical model, well, then the answer might be no. Yep. Um, but I think there needs to be that real shift, you know, away, you know, from some findings that we can that we can see, um, because you know they just may not be relevant at yep. a particular point. Yeah. Yeah, and I'm, I, I, I just hate the word fixed uh, when it comes to injury, um, because I feel like that's the ethos that a lot of runners have. And then they, as soon as they hear the word, oh, it's fixed, I can stop now. And then as soon as they stop, they're not maintaining it. And then as soon as they stop maintaining it, they regress and um, they decondition. And, you know, whether it was um, uh, their strength capacity um, or, you know, they just lapse into poor, poor, poor habits um, uh, because they think it's good now. So then they just do what they used to do training wise or, um, they uh, skip the one percenters, and then suddenly that balances that was um, you know maintaining their their sort of function and their um, the level that they got to is out of whack, and 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 I often find people's um, pain coming back, creeping back. Mm. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. And sometimes you can find like you know the injury might be well managed. Yeah, like yeah. well maintained. It's, it's, it's well maintained, well managed. And then, you know, people go and ramp up, well, they, you know, they could go and ramp up their training. Yeah. You know, and they might ramp up a, a particular parameter. Oh, not a parameter, but like a, um, they might increase their running mileage, you know, when the emphasis probably should have still been on, you know, maintaining and achieving some of those strength param- like metrics first. Yeah. Um, and then they find that, you know, that their symptoms come back or they might regress a little in yep. regards to, and then, you know, to in regards to their pain. And then it's that ability to then work with a coach to try and say, well, hey, look, I think this occurred because of this, to change that variable and then figure out how to, like, you know, um, guide the runner back into, you know, um, you know, uh, back into their training again. Yep. Um, rather than them thinking, oh, no, like, you know, no, nah, it's broken again, it's done, yeah. no, I can't do this. You know, it's just like, well, no, it's, it's gotten a heaps better, yep. heaps better. It just needs to settle down again because you went and did this and decided that this was a good idea or you thought this was a good idea. You just really needed to change, you know, um, or the emphasis just shouldn't have been put back onto the running. It still needed to stay on the strength. Yep. Um, yep, so... And some of it's learnt through, I suppose, um, overshooting a little bit here and there too um, with the training and sometimes you do have a relapse but then that's how you learn where you're at um but like i'm not saying like there's a there's a like I, I think in the rehab phase you're probably doing your exercises um um you know daily or the most that you do it just to get you know certain systems up to scratch and up to a level that they need to be but then once you sort of got to a level where the pain's gone away and you're back competing how you want to compete you don't necessarily have have to do it um at the same frequency or dosage or amount you can definitely back it to a back it down to a maintenance dosage in terms of your, your rehab exercises. But the idea of keeping them up so that you maintain maintain the gains that you got, I think is important. Um, and I'm not to say that, like, when I say an injury is never fixed, that you'll never, ex- you, like, 
I've seen heaps of runners like reach levels that they've never reached before. Um, you know, post post injury in terms of training load and in terms of performance. Um, but it's they've got there slowly over time. Um, and um, it's because that that weakness that they had, um, you know, has just strengthened and, and adapted um, because they've worked with it over time. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Um, with uh, uh, the the uh, with dealing with an athlete when you return them to previous training levels, uh, what what metrics do you look at? Oh well, as you said before, we've got we've got some certain parameters that we we do look for. Um, you know, but it depends on what depends on what injury they're coming in with. Like, let's say for instance, we're looking at you know, calf strength and function. Well, we know that, like, generally speaking, we like our guys to be able to get to maybe 1.1 to 1.3 times their total body weight with some single leg heel raise work, uh, which if you do the maths to the listener, it's, it's a lot of weight. Um, or if we're looking at a sprinter with their hamstrings, you know, maybe we maybe like, you know, four to five newtons per kilogram of body weight. Um, so again, for, for the listener that... Um, if you've got a hundred kilogram footballer, you know, then they need to be able to produce 400, you know, newtons to 500 newtons of force. But I think that when we're looking at these data sets and data plots, uh, or in, in and around like strength, like we need to be really mindful as to where the researchers come from. So, you know, in regards to that hamstring reference, like that was from a football specific population where, you know, they classify high speed running at six meters a second you know, or six and a half metres a second. So for your track athletes who are going nine plus metres a second, like it's, you know, to say that that's going to be relative, well, well, you can't just pick it up from one one population and just dump it into the other and say, well, that'll do. But it's not a bad guide. Um, and when I say guide, like, you know, if you have a look at Christian Coleman, yeah. like that guy's 70 something kilos, who is listening like 800 Newton metres of, you know, um, force production in his hamstring so it completely throws the ratios and everything like right out the door yeah so you know but there's some of the things we kind of have a look at um you know uh, in, in our runners and, and we can look at like your hip hip flexion hamstring ratio glute hamstring ratios and to try and figure out you know where the problem you know kind of lies and whether or not like you do need to pump in um some strength you know back into those into those muscle groups but sometimes, like, you know, people just go, oh, I've got to start just pumping heavy weights. And I think that this is where, you know, when you're looking at, um, you know, like periodizing a training program, sometimes, like, you know, that runner, you know, may not even be able to recruit that particular muscle for a particular reason and to try and figure out why they can't and then to then try and retrain the brain to recruit that yep. muscle yep. and then to then you know um, prescribe exercise that you know ramps up the same muscle group and, to, and, you, and then to kind of shift the way the the emphasis from recruitment into some strength into some power training into some real speed training and to look and see you know how you might change your you know the weight and the reps and the sets and everything along the way yeah um, and then like you know, to throw another whole you know um, layer on top of it, then to also consider like the running loads that the runner's doing, yeah, and then to say, well, okay, if they're running this amount of mileage or you know this frequency, is that going to, is this actually going to you know um, put too much load on muscle group? And then is it and then you've got to look and say, well, all right, well. Um, or is this going to, you know, prevent them from hitting those parameters, you know, in regards to the strength because they're coming in, you know, in a such pre-fatigue state that they can't get to that level. Yep. Um, you know, and, and to try and really have that open and honest conversation about, you know, where the emphasis needs to be. When you've rehabbed an athlete um, or a runner and they've had certain restrictions on them in their rehab phase. Yep. So, for example, they've had an Achilles tendinopathy and they've maybe had some heel raises in their shoes and they've been told not to maybe stretch their Achilles. Um, they've been told to maybe not do too much jumping at the moment because mm -hmm. it was quite reactive. 
but they've progressed past that and they're going pretty well. How do you get them confident again to go, all right, now it's time to jump um, uh, um, and start sprinting or do some hill reps um, uh, to lift heavier or to do some plyometrics? Yeah, I think I think looking at using the Achilles specifically, like we know that the slow, heavy loads are not going to irritate the tendons when they're a true tendonopathy because they're a spring. Yep. So, you know, the really like the fast stuff's going to irritate them. So sometimes like by going back into that heavy block of strength work, you know, where it's not causing them, you know, an issue and they're like, wow, I'm really getting quite strong here. Yeah. Um, to be able to then use that to maybe into, um, you know, some, some sled pushing um, back into, you know, some other forms of drills, you know, so you can progressively look at the loading rates on that Achilles tendon. And then I think tendons are really quite difficult in that sense that, you know, you can find that those little progression, like those progressive gym strengthening exercises along the way. And then it's also looking at like um, the body, and this is credit to Craig, um, I'll put him, um, you know, having a look at the loading rates, you know, at, at what speed and what, like what body weights is, you know, certain running speeds putting on that posterior heel complex. So, and then to be able to try and look at that and, and progress it slowly. Yep. Um, yep. But yeah, I think that, yeah, that, that's tough. Yeah. Yep. Well, it's, and so I think it's so individually specific and you spoke mm. of it really well before in that it's about sort of, um, uh, melding it with the, uh, runners running load, um, liaising with, their coach um, and the athlete and trying to schedule it in appropriately. But then also, I think it's also an aspect, um, uh, uh, the, the skipping, and, and I'm speaking from personal experience, that, that often um, you get like, because I've, I've had um, seven years of Achilles trouble, like I almost get a bit scared of like, oh, okay, well, I know um, the skipping, you know, or the hill running or the sprints can, you know, I know I'm, I feel a bit stiff the next day. Um, so then you almost become a bit sort of re- resistant to even trying. Mm. Um, yeah. Yeah. So like, I think one of the big things we find specifically with, you know, Achilles tendinopathy um, and, and again, like, you know, for some of the research that's currently being developed, like when you've really truly established that it is Achilles tendinopathy that they're getting. Yeah, you know, I think one of the big issues that we have is that, you know, when the runner's still trying to run, um, like the running speed that you and the, you know, like the running speed and then the running volume, you know, that is really, you know, um, that is enough load when you're looking at the progressions of, you know, when we're talking about like the capacity element and the plyometric and speed element, you know, like where people generally come unstuck is that, you know, okay, they've got Achilles pain and they're still trying to, and they're running through it. Um, you know, and then they, they do some strength, they do some strength training. It gets a little bit better, but it hasn't really resolved it much. So then it's that honest conversation to say, well, we can't, we need to just dial down your running volume. Yep. Um, and take speed out altogether and put the emphasis back in on some strength. Yep. And then, you know, you still need to keep them going of some description. So they're still running, but to a point where it doesn't, you know, really cause a big flare up. So it's that fine clinical art about finding that balance. Yep. And then to be able to keep the runner, you know, focusing on some of these performance metrics throughout that strength, you know, phase of, and of however many cycles they may need to get up to the, you know, to a good parameter. And then to then increase the capacity of the tendon, you might do that with running, you know, by running, you know, further or whatnot at a particular speed. And then, you know, to come in and then reintroduce some like speed-based running, especially if you're in season. But where people come unstuck is that they kind of go through, through the strength phase, they hit the parameter, then they lose the strength. Um, and I'm like, they just, they just ditch it. And then they go into this, then they go back into running and they go into speed work and then, you know, their, their strength just starts to decline. Like you need to maintain that. But then, you know, the other issue is that when they're still trying to return to run, then all of a sudden they're running at speed plus doing plyometric work. Yeah. Plus doing the strength. Like 
it's too much load. So I think with people with it, you know, the post you heel pain who have had it for a prolonged period of time, like do your strength work, still keep running, and then use your running as you know running you know at higher speeds as your plyometric training, but don't yep. add your pliers in. And we sometimes you know not have runners completed for a couple of years, yeah, um, yep. while they really try and build their strength up and yep. yeah, and go from there. Yeah, it's um yeah, it's a good point. Like um, I've, I've I when I've been sort of covering sort of high volumes like hundred and fifty k's a week, I've I've found like I just I'd be too sore. I wouldn't be able to run if I was doing. Um, too much of the plyometric work but then taking now for a, a good example with um, the whole world in a bit of limbo um, and there's no races on the agenda I've sort of used this period to um, reduce my running volume and work on trying to improve my strength capacity of my Achilles so that you know when the time comes to do a bit more mileage I feel like I'm not as limited by my Achilles mm-hmm. um, so it's almost like taking a back step at the moment to just build that winter base and that strength and and that plyometric strength, so I've started skipping. Um, I think it's a hard, hard, hard one for a really keen runner to to conceptualise because they just want to run, and uh, uh, and then you're telling them to do less running and to you know do a, do some strength in in favour of it. It's um, it probably yeah really dependent on where the runner is in the season and um, you know a lot of things. Mm. Oh, absolutely. And I think that when we're looking at, like, running, to runners, like, when people say, oh, if if we're talking about ourselves, we both say we run. Yeah. Like, running makes up such a big part of your life, and you identify yourself as a runner. So, to say to someone, hey, listen, we're going to, I'm not going to cut your running out completely. I'm still going to keep you to run. But I need you to be able to do this, like, because it's not up to standard. Like, that, that can go down okay. But if you tell a runner, you know, and good luck. (laughs) <laughs> you know, that they're not going to run you you're not just tell, like even though you've got good intentions sometimes like you know you can it can fall on deaf ears because you're actually you know challenging challenging their identity um so it's to be able to have you know some ways to try and balance it so you're not threatening that as well yep um what what where are what are some other uh ways that you often see runners going wrong um in the whole um uh, performance and rehab side of things. Uh. Um, ah, oh, like coming out of coming out of that that strength phase, you know, too soon. I think. Yep. Um, you know, you know, then then again, as we said before, falling into like the you know pain freeze, pain freeze means that it's it's better, it's done. Like yep. I don't need to be doing this anymore. Um, you know, um. Yeah, and, and maybe not completing those one percenters. And sometimes, like, I think that, you know, where runners can go a bit wrong is that looking at certain and looking at certain exercises and, and putting a big emphasis over certain, you know, um, maybe gym-based activities that are not actually going to transfer potentially to their running. Yeah. And I'm like, well, why are you doing that? That's like, not oh, specific oh, enough. Well, it's not. Well, no. Well, like, for instance, like, okay, some double leg squatting can increase your power. Um, and, and some push power and it's shown to be good and, and we know that strength training you know some generalized strength training can increase you know and better your you know your um, your energy expenditure and you know and, you know at you know, just sub VO2 max but like if you're looking at certain exercises you know that's all double leg training and you know and people go oh I'm getting really strong I'm like well you do realize that running is a series of single leg landings and power generations and you're doing a bucket 10 of, you know, double leg work. And they go, oh, but like, yeah. And so that's where I see like a lot of things going wrong. Yeah. Um, you know, that real unilateral recruitment um, and to be able to, you know, um, elicit good force, you know, through one leg. But in defense, because some people and some listeners, you know, would say, well, you know, but would you just go and give really hard unilateral work to it to a novice? No, I wouldn't. Like, you know, I, you know, you've got to pick your target and and have a look at people's lifting histories and and training histories. And so, for those who haven't lifted, um, you know, some of those exercises are not a bad starting point, but they're not, you know, where someone should try and finish. Yep. If in my opinion, um, like this is a um. And this is just about the last question because um, we've 
we've got a you know other we've, we've got other commitments. But um, yeah. uh, with um, the whole um, question of um, should a runner be able to jump? Should they be able to lift really heavy, hurl weights um, at a high volume frequently, um, um, and a, an intensity that's appropriate? Um, like if, if you can do all that and you're a real athlete, um, does that mean that you're quite you're likely to be a bit more robust and have a better strength tolerance and less chance of injury? Um, I think that chronic chronic exposure to a particular stimulus is a really good way of preventing injury. Yep. Um, so just because you can push a bucket ton and you know do certain things, be it in you know in the gym, like say for instance in the gym, doesn't mean it's going to necessarily translate onto you know into a running environment. Yep. Um, but sure, like I think if you've got you know if you've got good tissue capacity and good strength and endurance and in the appropriate spots in the appropriate spots correct you know hip flexor calf you know you know your glute max is really strong and you know because that's a big you know pelvic control muscle yep yeah sure i think you're going to be far better placed to um you know to um distribute load evenly you know and and ensure that you know certain injuries are less likely to pop up but does it bulletproof people no yeah um because we know that injury and um, is is a multifactorial, multifaceted um, conundrum that we're always trying to you know solve. And for one person, you know, you know, it's going to be different. Like, I'm, and the amount of times I've heard people say, "Oh, just do Nordics. It's going to fix hamstrings." I'm like, "Oh yeah, well, it fixes fifty percent." You know, um, like when we have a look at those big reviews and everything, like it, it found like a fifty percent reduction. But if it didn't, like if people just say, just do this and just think that one size is going to fit all, I think that's where we're going to come unstuck. So, yeah. Yeah. And then even within person, like, um, you know, say you're 40 now and um, used to be able to do a certain, you know, amount of training at 20 um, or even year by year, like you've got extra work stresses or life stresses. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, sometimes uh, your capacity to tolerate load um uh, you know, is different year year on year. Um, mm. So so yeah, like tying that um, whole strength capacity side of things and and trying to make yourself really robust um, from a strength side of things, but then uh, linking that up with the training that you do and the decisions and the, um, that you make in terms of frequency, duration, and um, and volume from a, a running point of point of view, they need a sort of. Um, uh, be on par together and um so that your strength capacity is tolerating the the training that you're doing uh, yeah 100 percent. and i think that when we talk about you know for the four-year-old listener like and we use dustin fletcher as an example and, <laughs> you know he um he came into an afl program and you know and he, they interviewed him and he said look you know i started in the in the rehab group you know and that kind of like the junior like the junior load and then as I transition into my 25, you know, 26-year-old, you know, peak VO2 age, yeah, sure, my loads went right up. And then, you know, towards the back end of my career, my training loads and everything went down again. Um, and, you know, he said, because my body, just the way it functions and it's, you know, metabolic capabilities, it changed. So to say that you can just roll out the same program every single person and never change it well it was good the last year but it may not be applicable this year you know and it might have changed again the year after so to look at that and say well you know the training program needs to change with the athlete you know yeah um, you know especially when you're looking at you know age limiting factors and then also injury history and certain things so um, to have a really good understanding of that is imperative Mate, that was awesome. Covered a lot of good topics again and, um, you know, heaps of um, great wisdom in, in there. So, yeah, thanks again for another great podcast. Mate, I love being here, so it's, uh, it's good fun. If you ever need a hand with anything else, I'll, I'm, or if I can share in any other light, I'm always happy to come on. Um, again, just um, for listeners that, you know, maybe haven't um, grabbed the episode before, where can listeners reach out to you if they're interested in, um, you know, contacting you? Yeah, sure. Like we, like I'm consulting at Melbourne CBD Physio, um, which is on the corner of Queen and Burke Street, um, and yeah, like, and our emails on our clinic website, 
And yeah. do you know what? Like I'm, I'm, as I joke, because we're in the law district, I say, look, I'm not a lawyer. You can pick up the phone and, <laughs> and give me a ring and I'll be more than happy to get on and have a chat. And um, yeah, because we just, we just really enjoy helping and um, yeah, and being there as a, as a soundboard for, you know, runners. And then, you know, if you need us to consult a little bit further and, you know, try and pick out some injuries, yeah, well, that's where you can find us. Nice, Nick. And thanks for another great coffee. That's all right, mate. Anytime. <laughs> Beautiful.